Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up and hit that like button because I got a big show for you today. And let's just jump into it. I need, or rather, I, I want to respond to something. Yesterday, I talked about the backlash that Taylor Swift was receiving. People saying that she was fat phobic for her music video, and I very much disagreed. I personally believe the moment in the music video was her talking about people calling her fat in the past. All of a sudden, the self-hate she's feeling, uh, the ED, the body dysmorphia, things that I, I can actually very much relate to. And if you look through the comments on yesterday's video, the vast majority of people did agree with me. But someone tweeted something at me yesterday, and I think they were a fan, and I think that they're, they're not going in with any ill intent. I'm not going to show their name, and please don't search them out. That's not what this is about. But I did want to respond to it, because it, it did make me wonder a question. Right, so the comment reads, I normally agree with you, but on the issue of T-Swift, it's my and literally every other plus-size person I know's opinion that it is fat-phobic. Thin-bodied people don't get to determine what is and isn't fat-phobic. Imagine if white people got to determine what is racist. So, uh, right off the top, I am going to, to put in a different box that I am not going to touch uh, you equating racism and fat phobia. I think that's short-sighted, a false equivalency, but it's not my fight to have. My question as it pertains to the main story around Taylor Swift and this backlash is at what amount of weight loss did my opinion on this topic become invalid? I've been a big person for most of my life. I have almost hit 300 at certain points. I've been very open about my struggles with eating disorders in the past. I openly talk about my body dysmorphia even after my weight loss. And so I ask that question because I, I want to understand the mindset behind saying something like this. Because me losing the weight and having a healthier lifestyle now, that doesn't change everything that I've fucking dealt with or struggled with or still struggle with. Like, it's not a grudge I actively hold. I, I mention this just because I don't like this just being, I guess, like, invalidated. Like in recent memory, when there was this podcast that was like one of the biggest in the world at a time, one of the hosts like singled me out, specifically was talking about how I was fat. I looked like I was on death's door. All of a sudden I have a mob of people pointing at and dunking on my biggest fucking insecurity at the time. And I'm gonna tell you something, those fucking intrusive thoughts, which I felt that Taylor Swift was highlighting in that video, those stay there whether I was closer to 300 or now I'm under 200. And check this out, that monster of a voice in my head doesn't use technical terms like obese. It uses the garbage words that others have thrown at me. But yeah, uh, thus concludes the nicest version of all the responses I wanted to make. And then a grandma was arrested for feeding homeless people in Arizona. And she is now partnered with the Institute for Justice, or IJ, in a lawsuit against the city. So let's walk through it. Norma Thornton, uh, she's a 78-year-old grandmother. She worked in food service for 20 years. In 2017, she retired and moved to Bullhead City, Arizona. And while she was exploring the city, she noticed the homeless population and decided to help using her culinary skills. And so she begins making large meals and setting it up in a community park. She'd spend about two hours a day setting up, serving food, and cleaning up afterwards. Well, this leads to March 8th, where just as the last person with a meal was walking away, two police officers approached her, and they arrested her for violating a new city ordinance which forbids people from serving prepared foods to homeless people in public parks. Thought of, of people being hungry. I mean, I'm not making a big impact. It's not that much. But at least some people have enough food to survive. And I can't even imagine living in this country and being hungry. To be told that you cannot feed the hungry, regardless of, of what, what the circumstances are, is sad, but it makes me really, really angry, to put it bluntly. Now, the charges against Norma have since been dropped, but she was threatened with jail time if she was caught feeding people in the park again. And as far as the specifics with this ordinance, it was passed in February of 2021. And in it, the city said that food sharing events have led to human waste, litter, trash, and debris. And saying these activities have resulted in a deterioration of the condition of public property and negatively affect use of parks by other patrons. According to the ordinance, people are allowed to serve food to the homeless in the park. However, 
all products must be pre-packaged and readily available from retail outlets. Otherwise, you now have to obtain a food serving permit, which reportedly requires an extensive process, including a $250 deposit for maintenance and cleaning costs. And the chief of police in Bullhead City posting on Facebook yesterday discussing the event and saying, officers have many contacts with the homeless, and during those contacts, we educate them on local social services and will even transport them to the local homeless shelter if they want, rather than enabling them by just leaving them where they are and bringing them things that doesn't help them out long term. And to that, in her video with IJ, Norma said, I am not enabling homelessness. I'm enabling these people to survive. And she has since continued to feed people about a mile away from the park, although she said it isn't perfect. There's no tables, there's no grass. They get their food and they just sit up against a fence that gives us some shade. And so Norma and IJ's lawsuit argues that the ordinance is unconstitutional and discriminatory, arguing that prepared food is permissible at family or social events, but not allowed to be served to homeless strangers. So yeah, ultimately, this woman was arrested for helping people and then accused of enabling them by offering them a home-cooked meal. But yeah, I'm gonna keep my eye on this story, see what happens, but in the meantime, what are your thoughts? And then, I wanna thank the sponsor of today's show, Bloodline Heroes of Lithus. This visually stunning hero collector fantasy RPG is all about merging bloodlines, uniting generations, and building your legacy. As the High Guardian take control of the City of Light and journey through the world of Lithus to restore peace and order. The world is filled with fantasy races of every kind and how you interact with them will ultimately determine the future of your kingdom. And this game just got the biggest update ever. Customize champions to create over 800 different new hybrids by creating different bloodlines to find unique combinations that best suit your gameplay. You can create powerful offspring like a hybrid heir of dragonborn and demigods and level up to unlock more companions. Plus the art is stunning with detailed 3D models for each character and the abilities you choose change your champion's appearance too. Also, if you log in during their Halloween event starting October 27th, you'll get a free vampire champion on the seventh day. They're the darkest, most terrifying assassins yet to be found in the world of Lithus. They can nuke your enemy and still sustain themselves on the battlefield during longer fights. So scan the QR code on screen or click my link and code in the description to get a special starter pack worth $20. You get 100k gold, 100 diamonds, and 10 energy potions. And then, video games are good for you. Right, despite out-of-touch politicians who have often never even touched a game liking to villainize them as some sort of excuse rather than actually having to deal with a real issue, the majority of studies do not seem to back that up. In fact, according to a new study by the National Institutes of Health, they found that young gamers score higher on brain function tests. As Morning Brew explains, kids who played video games for three or more hours per day were faster and more accurate at tasks requiring impulse control and memorization than kids who didn't play them at all. And noting that neuroimaging showed that game-playing kids had more activity in areas of the brain associated with attention and memory. And this study is one of the largest on the topic, with the data coming from almost 2009 and 10-year-olds. But I do want to note that the, the story is not over. There is a valid question of cause causality versus correlation, right? Does gaming cause better cognitive performance or do kids who have better cognitive performance just find themselves playing more video games? And the good news is reportedly this research used data from an even larger study that's tracking 12,000 kids as they grow. So they're gonna be able to continue analyzing the same children and go, okay, you were here, now you're here, now you're here or here or whatever it looks like. Maybe their habits change. Okay, what happens from there? And say, hey, something to follow. Time will tell. And in the meantime, let me know your thoughts. And then... Is what they're doing genius? Does it make you go whatever? Or does it make your blood boil? I don't think we've talked about this yet, but you might've seen these clips floating around on Twitter and Reddit. They're protesters with a European climate activist group, Just Stop Oil. And recently they've been engaging in these increasingly viral stunts where they throw food on Van Gogh's, Monet's, a wax figure of King Charles. Just this morning, they reportedly spray painted the storefronts of several luxury car stores in the UK. With their main purpose essentially being, or like trying to draw attention to the questions. What is worth more, art or life? Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? 
Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. Also, uh, a key thing here is regarding those paintings, staff have confirmed that they didn't actually sustain any damage. Though, that hasn't stopped the authorities from charging these protesters with criminal damage. But also, with all of this, there has been a central question of, are these guys really just hurting their own cause? Or because we've seen a ton of critics saying these kinds of dramatic stunts alienate the public from the message Just Stop Oil is actually trying to promote. And I mean, pretty much everywhere you go online, there's no shortage of people shaming these protesters. Some doing things like arguing that Van Gogh was poor throughout his life, that he was mentally ill. Others saying, hey, look, they're wasting food while talking about food shortages. And this is something that even large creators have been hitting on, people like Moist Critical speaking on it. It is a bit silly because they've taken a real message and a message that I, as well as many people, do agree with when it comes to climate change and the importance of it. And they've turned it into a joke, a laughingstock, and turned people against it. It's made even more pathetic by the fact that they come across as massive hypocrites during their own demonstrations because they're wasting food and using cell phones. With Charlie adding that he and many others feel like these protesters are just reveling in the attention that they're getting. But also, you know, we do see people pushing back on that saying, you know, these protesters know they're not ruining the art. Arguing that that act, it's it's not the point, it's the, hey, look at the shiny thing, so you listen to the argument. Noting that defacing art as a form of protest is actually nothing new. But also, I think in 2022, I don't know what actually does keep people's attention. Like, I don't know how many people are Remember this, but on Earth Day, a climate activist set himself on fire in front of the Supreme Court and he died. And that maybe garnered 36 hours of attention? But I don't know, so I will pass the question off to you on this. Are you in the camp that these just stop oil protesters, that they're hurting their cause by doing these stunts? Or are you in the camp of people are just missing the point, they're focusing too much on the thing, trying to get their attention rather than what they should be uh, paying attention to? Any and all thoughts you have, I'd love to know. And then we need to talk about the Oz Fetterman debate. Right? It was one of the most anticipated political debates of this midterm cycle, arguably one of the most important races happening this year. It's the first and only one that's gonna happen, but more importantly, as one outlet noted, it was also the first First time the voters were able to watch Fetterman unscripted on live television for a full hour since he suffered from his stroke in May. You know, with this being politics, I understand that everyone's gonna spin this story one way or another, but I just need to say directly, I think Fetterman's campaign manager or the team around him made a major mistake. The guy had a stroke and says he is fit to serve, so does his doctor, but has been very open about the fact that he has auditory processing issues right now. Or some stuff is gonna take longer for him to process, there's gonna be captioning software, some words might get switched up around. You're gonna throw this guy into a high pressure situation where he has to talk about complex topics, but he's only given 15, 30, or 60 seconds depending on which part of the debate it is. And understand, if Fetterman still wins, which personally, I do hope he does win, it's gonna be in spite of your decision, not because of it. Though Oz certainly didn't help things. Right? Even before the debate started, Fetterman's campaign said that it had asked for reporters to be present during the debate so they could see how the captioning was happening in real time, but Oz's team refused. And that move generated a lot of backlash, including from the likes of Hassan Piker, who shared the story on Twitter and wrote, watching this debate live in a few, and even before it started, Dr. Oz behaving like a total piece of shit. But with Fetterman's health being front and center, even before this debate, he started off by addressing it. And let's also talk about the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate, 
mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. And we saw that at times last night. Fetterman sometimes tripping over or misusing words and phrases, kind of having the stop and go and sentences. Though, as some have noted, this could have been because he was watching a closed captioning system that he uses to better follow conversations in these settings because of the auditory processing disorder he has. Others also pointing to the rapid fire format, which I talked about. And some arguing that, that format is pretty ableist because it gives a serious disadvantage to people who have delayed speech or have to read captions. But of course, in situations like this, really the only thing that matters when you're talking about a big election like this is perception. And so of course, many jumped on these moments to assert that Fetterman is not fit for office, though I do want to note a key thing. Some experts have said that he is actually recovering incredibly well and is only going to get better with time. But also there you have people pushing back saying, hey, okay, if Fetterman's fine and he's getting better, why doesn't he release his full medical records? When he was asked about it again last night, he declined to do so, saying, my doctor believes I'm fit to serve. But all that said, in addition to that lightning rod of a subject, there were also a number of very important topics discussed last night, like the hot button issue of abortion. And while Fetterman reaffirmed his support for the right to choose, saying Roe v. Wade should be the law of the land, we saw a very different response from Oz. I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. Also, I will say a key thing here, Oz initially tried to kind of like bounce around the question of if he would support Senator Lindsey Graham's proposal for a nationwide 15-week abortion ban with him then getting pressed on it and kind of giving a definitive answer while at the same time not. But when he was asked repeatedly, he did eventually say that he opposed any measure that took power away from the states, but he still didn't say he would vote no on Lindsey Graham's bill. Also, one of the other most prominent moments of the night came when the two were discussing fracking. It's a big industry in Pennsylvania, which Fetterman said last night that he has always supported, but then we saw this interaction with the moderator. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking, but there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. Beyond that, there were a number of other important topics discussed like crime, gun violence, and minimum wage, with both candidates generally leaning towards the middle on many of these issues, which I think reflects how important independent and moderate voters are going to be in this specific election. Also, what was interesting was when Oz was asked if he would back Trump in 2024, he tiptoed around the issue saying he would support whoever the Republican Party puts up, which, I mean, was kind of surprising given the fact that Trump endorsed Oz in the primary, massively helping him win there. Though, when he was continually pressed, Oz did ultimately respond, I would support Donald Trump. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's where we are with this and it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens. While Fetterman has generally been polling ahead of Oz, he recently has had a surge. He's within the margin of error on most polls. He had a new poll released just before the debate saying very little's changed in public opinion on whether Fetterman is fit to serve since last month. And it'll be interesting to see if those polling numbers change post-debate. And then I want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's show, Established Titles. Established Titles is based on a historic Scottish custom where landowners are referred to as lords and ladies in English. This is absolutely one of those fun, out-of-nowhere gifts to give anyone, but especially those hard-to-shop-for people in your life. The title pack gives you at least one square foot of dedicated land on a private estate in Eddleston, Scotland, and an official certificate with a crest. And I really like that they're huge supporters of global reforestation, saying they're working with charities like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future. So, with each order means one tree gets planted. With established titles saying that so far, they've saved over 170 acres of woodlands in different parts of Scotland, and planted over 2 million trees globally with trees for the future alone. Though, I will warn you, I cannot confirm if your friends and family will call you Lord and Lady without smirking. That said, it does make an amazing last-minute gift, and established titles is running a massive sale. Plus, when you 
you go to establishedtitles.com slash DeFranco, and you use code DeFranco, you get an additional 10% off. And then, election deniers could control the next round of elections. That's a very real concern right now in many places, but especially battleground states, and it's worse than you think. For while a lot of the national discourse, of course, is focused on the contest that will ultimately decide the future of the House and the Senate, there are some statewide races that are so insanely consequential, they've gotten so much more media coverage than they normally would have, with one of those races being for the Attorney General of Michigan. And right now, the incumbent Democrat Dana Nessel's locked in this very close battle against one of the most high-profile Trump-backed nominees in any contest this year, attorney and well-known election denier Matthew DiPerno, who, honestly, like, the more you learn about, the more fucking shocked you're gonna be this is a close race. But to try to get a better understanding of what is going on with this race, I actually reached out to Nessel. And before we got into talking about this specific race, I, I wanted to know, what do you feel like you've done for the people of Michigan? And among the things she spoke on, she talked about consumer and environmental protections and also adding... But I, I would say most importantly uh, in the work that we've done, one, maintaining reproductive freedom uh, for women all over our state. We had a 1931 law, very draconian, that criminalized abortion. And through uh, some court actions that I've taken uh, along with our governor, that law has never gone into effect in Michigan. And with any luck and with a lot of people voting, it will never go into effect. But in addition to that, ensuring that the guy who received 154,000 votes, then the other guy, actually was certified as the winner of uh, our presidential election in 2020. And that was no small feat. Most years, it's not a big deal for the attorney general. It's just a formality. But in 2020, we saw more threats to our democracy here in Michigan and, of course, across the country than we'd ever seen, at least in my lifetime. And we had to work tenaciously to combat, uh, you know, a concerted effort to undermine the election and to overturn a lawful election in our state. And the thing is, her opponent, DiPerno, his views could not be more different on those essential rights. I mean... He's gone so far as to say it's not just that he believes that abortion criminalization without exception to rape, without exception to incest, but he's even said even if the mother is going to die, even if that woman is going to die on an operating room table, he doesn't care if a woman has to die. But he went even a step further than that and said he actually wants to also ban birth control. And he said specifically he wants to treat Plan B the same way you would treat illegal fentanyl shipments that come across our border, apparently not recognizing the fact that Plan B is actually sold at uh, pharmacies all across the state of Michigan right now. Nessel also went on to note that DiPerno has some very extremist views on guns that go beyond the traditional Republican base. His views on the Second Amendment are so extreme that he doesn't think that there should be a prohibition on owning firearms by anyone anywhere, anytime. So basically guns for all, guns for children, guns for convicted murderers. But, and, and this is a key thing to remember, what Matthew DiPerno is most well known for and why he's gotten so much media attention in this election cycle is because of his involvement in the efforts to overturn the 2020 election and the lies that he has spread since. With Nessel noting that DiPerno was handpicked by Trump because he was at the Capitol on January 6th and he filed a lawsuit disputing the election results in Michigan that became known as a massive effort to spread disinformation nationwide. But he became the nominee for the Republicans simply because that's who Trump wanted, knowing that if he were to be attorney general in our state, knowing the pivotal role that the AG plays in ensuring that we are defending the will of the voters, that he could very potentially, and, and if he's in that office, very likely manipulate it in a way um, so that it's not the will of the millions and millions of people who vote in the state of Michigan, but really what one man would like to see. So he's a dangerous guy, does not believe in democracy, gets very upset. If you call America a democracy, he stomps his foot, says it's a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. Stop calling us a democracy. I've never uh, seen anybody so upset uh, about the concept that, you know, each person should be able to have say in their government and have their views represented. Nestle also speaking on DiPerno having a very questionable record when it comes to domestic extremism, noting that he mocked the domestic terrorist plot to kidnap and assassinate the governor of Michigan and adding. Like for me, in a top law enforcement official in the state, I like someone who's anti-domestic terrorism not pro-domestic terrorism, but here's a guy who, you know, again, at, 
On January 6th, he's at the, the Capitol with people who have been charged with insurrection activities who, who you know, illegally stormed the Capitol. He's seen in court with them, sitting by their side, uh, counseling them. Um, I would be prosecuting those people, not assisting them in their defense. But the key and craziest part of all of this is that this isn't even where all DePerno's election bullshit ends. In 2021, there were uh, there was a set of circumstances where we learned that um, tabulators, election tabulators, had been taken from clerk's offices and placed into the hands of third parties that were not legally permitted to have possession of that election equipment. And we began investigating. It was referred to us by the Michigan Department of State. Uh, who oversees elections, and it had been widely reported on. So we took the case and we started to investigate. We went to the various different municipalities and started to track what happened to that election equipment and where it went. And unfortunately, it led a, a trail directly to my opponent, Matthew DiPerno. In other words, DiPerno was a central figure in an alleged scheme to obtain and tamper with voting machines and a subject of a criminal investigation led by the same office he was running for. So as a result, Nestle could no longer investigate him and referred the case to a special prosecutor. But that situation has also created problems for her. For example, the AG has refused to debate her opponent. When I asked her how she would respond to those who say, you know, this might deny voters the opportunity to hear both candidates discuss important issues, she said part of the reason was that legally she can't talk about the investigation, but he keeps bringing it up. If he talks about it during a debate, I can't respond. Uh, all I can say is no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. I don't see how that's informative for the public. And it's really like going to a boxing match with one arm tied behind my back. But there's there's other reasons as well. The fact that he keeps disseminating, he continues to disseminate disinformation about the 2020 election. I think what it does is it undermines people's faith and confidence in the election. And we know, 100% we know that what he's saying is untruthful. And lastly, he he's a bully who engages in name calling. He continually refers to me as General Groomer. He says that because I'm the first openly gay person to hold statewide office in Michigan. And even though I've prosecuted, you know, hundreds and hundreds of very serious sexual assault cases against children, he's never prosecuted a single one. You know, to call a, a person a groomer because they are, you know, outward LGBTQ, I mean, to me, what it does is it diminishes the community. And I'm not going to give him a platform to do that. By me debating him, people will watch that proceeding. They will hear him say these things. And then it escalates hate crimes in our communities. And that's ultimately concluding that part of the reason this race is so close is that many people are just blindly supporting DiPerno as the Republican candidate without knowing all that he stands for. So to beat him, she says that it's important to discuss how extreme his beliefs are and for people to learn about it. You know, this position, though, you know, statewide criminal jurisdiction. So... This is a person who would really have the authority to do a lot of damage in our state, and I think he would if he was given the opportunity. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, liking, being subscribed to my daily dives into the news. I also got some more news for you, whether you missed the last Philip DeFranco show or you want to watch this short. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow.